It's good. Good morning. I know we have a lot to be thankful for, and the Lord's given us a beautiful December or January day and catch up here. Uh, but I know we have much to be thankful for. Uh, Danny Alewine is uh, continuing in his series of chemo treatments, and obviously keep him in your prayers. And with all the sickness that's been around, it's probably in his best decisions not to be here. Uh, you know, and so, uh, but they continue. In fact, he's got his next chemo treatment, which will be this Thursday. Um, and so, uh, continue to keep Danny uh, in in your prayers. And uh, this morning, our scripture reading and praying uh, will be with the Arnolds. They're going to be coming forward, and as they're coming forward, uh, please stand. scripture this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. It is written, I will destroy the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, though his wisdom, did not know him, God is pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolish, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Father, we come to you in prayer today, and we thank you for this beautiful day. What a beautiful day it is. We we pray for those that can't be with us, with us here today. We pray for their health and that they're able to get back with us. We pray for those that are in the bulletin that need uh, special prayers for their illnesses. We thank you for their service to the church and the community. Let us pray for our country. Let us pray for our soldiers, our military, and their families. And we ask for your blessings and thank you for our blessings that you have given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Old Dylan, he's got that wise look to him there. So I'll just start with a question to you, Dylan. Uh, why did the scarecrow get a promotion you don't know why because he was outstanding in his field <clears throat> Tracy Schieffer I thought that was good pretty good anyway it's good to be here 
Uh, open your Bibles to the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. I had some help with our youth group uh, this morning, or from our youth group, with the message this morning. It was, it was good, and uh, it was very good. I want to reiterate, as you're going to the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, that first statement, that message uh, that was just read for us out of 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 1, Corinthians, verse 18 for the word of the cross, or that translates, for the message of the cross, for the word of the message of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, foolishness, but to us who are being saved is the power of God, the message of the cross, the word of the cross. Um, If you go uh, to Romans in the first chapter, you will see that the apostle Paul writes to the Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For unto the gospel is the power of salvation from God unto men. So the message of the cross is foolishness. He would go on to say that that message is uh, a a scandal to the Jews and a foolish uh, message uh, to the the worldly, the secular, the the non-Jewish person. Um, But in Isaiah 53, I'm going to finish. We were in Isaiah a good portion of the year last year. And... uh, Really, Isaiah, the entire book of Isaiah, begins with uh, the challenge from Isaiah to God's people, uh, the failings of God's people. There were three areas. They had revolted against God, they had rebelled against God, and they had abandoned God. They were practicing religion. Uh, They were a practicing religious people, and, and they were, well, they were delusional. They had fooled themselves. They believed they were in right relationship with God, but in reality they had revolted, they had rebelled, and they had abandoned. And the, with, from that premise, really the entire prophetic word deals with Isaiah pointing out this is, what, this is what it is. This is how you've rebelled. This is how you've abandoned. This is how you've revolted. And this is what God is going to do about it. These are, this is what you need to know, and this is what God is going to do about it. Uh, but if you were to take that whole premise and scenario, and if you were to just point to one place in the book of Isaiah, that because if you study it in its entirety, there's an overwhelming sense of failure. I don't know if you've ever been to a point in your life where you, you could even maybe describe it or as depression. But maybe you're looking at your life and the circumstances in your life and your position in life, and it's just, it's just depressing. And there's great conviction and failure. And uh, if you read Isaiah and the entirety of Isaiah, there, it's depressing. It is this repetitive word from God's prophet to his people about their failures and, and then how God has responded to their failure. Uh, God uses every means available to discipline them, to get their attention. He uses the weather. <laughs> he uses foreign countries. He uses, he uses every dynamic that, and circumstance that is common to men to discipline them to get their attention, to bring them to, to their senses. And, 
and it's just over, and it just repeats itself. But in light of that, or in spite of that, and in hope of that, there lies this 53rd chapter. Now, I don't know um, how serious you are in your Bible reading and how much time you spend reading the Word of God. I, I would just tell you very quickly, if there, if there was a place in Scripture, there's many, 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 but if there was a place that should be a part of your daily, weekly, regular reading, there, there are a handful that really are, to me, um, you, they're unwavering. All of Scripture is unwavering, but when I, when I use that term, what I mean is that I don't care what's happening in your life. You could go to this place in Scripture and be reminded and encouraged and strengthened and, and all the things that you need to maybe get you to the next moment, the next hour, the next through the day. I, I really believe that. And I believe the 53rd chapter of Isaiah is one of those places. Uh, irregardless of what's going on in your life, I believe this passage, uh, I believe along with 1 Corinthians 13, the great passage about love, Matthew 25, uh, it, boy, that great passage where uh, Jesus speaks a great truth unto his people. He says, you want to know who's going to heaven? I'm going to tell you who's going to heaven. I'm going to tell you who's going to heaven. And he teaches that great you know, that great teaching where he says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was cold and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. One of those great passages, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, Romans the 8th chapter, Ephesians the 2nd chapter, Isaiah 53. So it, connecting that 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse that was just read, the message of the cross. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Now, look at the way this 53rd chapter starts. Who has believed our message? Who has believed our message? Church, I want to say something to you. I spent the last two weeks with our youth group. There's not a single person in this hearing today that who you are has been established by a series of messages. Everybody here? Uh, I don't know, it may have been Neely this morning or Abigail or one of them. Um, I said, so when you're born, you're just born. You don't know anything. What, what, what do you start, what's the, what, what, what happens? And was it Neely, were you the one to say, you start figuring out who's who? Did you say that? One of you said, who, huh? Yeah, maybe it was Abigail. Ab who? Nat Madeline. Madeline. Yeah, smart. We had some outstanding young women. Uh, the guys, not so much. But uh, anyway, <laughs> you didn't even know the scarecrow, Dylan. Don't throw your hands up. So, uh, but so you know, we start to figure out who's who. I thought that was pretty. Yeah. Well, that's that lady. She feeds me. Yeah. And uh, that's that man. He makes funny faces to me. You know, he's a, and so we just start to receive information. And, uh, and, and so, but now, because you live in Texas or maybe grew up in Texas versus somewhere else, uh, maybe your messaging, all the messages that you've heard, the things that are important to you, 
the things that mean something to you. I, I don't know if you realize this, but even our accents. Uh, you know, people in Texas don't talk like people in New York or New Jersey or Canada. That's not a genetic thing. That's a messaging. That's something you hear, you adapt, and then you respond to that. But our whole life is made up of messaging. And, and so we today, with our social media world, and we know all about messages, you know, messaging, messaging, messaging. Every advertiser in America has a message trying to convince you why their product is the best, uh, from car insurance to mattresses. I mean, it's just messaging. We live in a world right now, boy, there's some political messages being, I mean, we're inundated with political messages, aren't we? But our whole life, whether you, you know, you're prejudiced, the things that you're passionate about, the things that you love, the things that you might emphasize in your life, somebody is the result of a message, some data that's been put into your and my data processing our brain, and we've convinced ourselves or we've decided, okay, and then we'll spend a lot of time and energy and effort. Now, for you and I, though, as a Christian, our faith is based upon one thing, and that's a message. It's a message. Our identity, our faith, our belief system, what we're supposed to adhere to is a message. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, it says, The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It is the same terminology of uh, this term in 1 Corinthians 1 and even Hebrews, this message and word. Now, Jesus, in the Scripture, that word would be, that logos would be, not only a physical manifestation of the word, but a literal written inspired by the Holy Spirit word, which is the word of God. So it had the physical reality in Christ from the spiritual influence of Christ, the word. It's a message. We're here celebrating Christ, singing hymns because of a message that was proclaimed. We know the scripture very clearly says in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, it says, Scott, you're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself. So there it is. If you're saved, you have been saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself. So if that's the case, if I'm saved by grace through faith, I better figure out well, how does that faith happen? Well, you go to the writer of Hebrews. He said, Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. So I'm saved by grace through faith, that not of myself. Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. And so then in Romans 10, 17, it says, Consequently, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word, the message, the story of Christ. We're a people of a message. We are a people of a message. And the scripture very clearly states that Jesus saves, the Lord saves, God saves through the preaching of his message. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, we come to saving grace, knowledge, through the preaching of the message. It's, you, can't, you will not find any other uh, statement of truth, direction, application having to deal with your salvation. You can only be saved according to the Word of God by and through the Word of God, the preaching of the message of the Word of God. It's the way he's on The book of Acts, the entire book of Acts, the acts of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the apostles is one conversion salvation story after another where the preaching of the Word inspired by the Holy Spirit was conveyed, a message was received, and a soul was saved. Now, so it's really important. 
really important that you and I better know what that message is. And here's what I would say to you that is significantly, the single most significant problem in Christianity today, amongst professing Christianities. I cannot emphasize this enough. I cannot. I cannot. Single biggest problem is we don't know what the message is. We really don't. Now, I can bear that out in many ways. We're going to let the passage of Scripture do it itself. But we should be able to, in your workplace or your family, uh, in any setting that you might be called, somebody said, okay, you're a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. What are you a Christian? What's the basis of your Christianity? Well, I believe the word of the Bible. I believe the message from God concerning salvation. Okay, all right. So what's that message? Now, we ought to be able to very clearly, very clearly, concisely answer that question. And and really, the Bible very clearly then, there shouldn't be, you don't have to be a doctrinal theological scholar or giant to be able to convey, understand it, know it, and then convey it. Really don't. And that's the importance of Isaiah 53. That is the importance of, consequently, faith comes by hearing and hearing the story, the message of Christ, Romans 10, 17, and 1 Corinthians The message of the cross is a scandal to the Jews. We'll get back to that in a minute. And foolishness to the non-Jews, to the world, the secular world. And Isaiah, in this 53rd chapter, very clearly, very clearly defines the message. Every message has two elements. Uh, There's no message I don't care what your message is. You might be selling beer. I don't know. You might be selling a truck. You may be trying to convince somebody, you know, of something with a message. You may be trying to, maybe you're in a construction site. You're trying to, you know, uh, you got to convey a message of the job you're doing. There's two elements, a definition and a description. Something needs to be defined. Something is defined in a message. Something is described. Now here is the description. This is the definitive description of our message in all of Scripture. This is the value. This is what we have been called to know. This is the message that the apostles were told in Matthew 28, 19 and Mark 16, 16 to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach the message. Preach the message before, because unto that message is the salvation that comes from God unto man. So first, Isaiah 53, who has believed our message? Well, that's a question. First of all, it's our message. It's our message. If you're one of God's people, this is, this is your message. It's our message. It's, it's, it has an identity in us. Now that's encouraging and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now that term means the strength of the Lord. The, not just the strength of the Lord, but the ability, the far-reaching strength of the Lord. It was, it was, a, it was a military, it was a, uh, it was a term that had to do with the strength of a military, the royalty of a king. 
So the strength of that arm, the arm of that kingdom, the ability to reach out, conquer, take hold, instruct, move. And so the question is, well then, who's believed the message, our message, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And here it is. There's four things, four components, four truths. Genesis through Revelation. This is the message. This is the message. Verse 2 through 3. I want you to think definition and description. Man, our high school kids were 100% on. I didn't have, it, they just nailed it. For he grew up before him. Now, I'm going to fast forward. This is Christ growing up before God, his father, like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. Now, listen, church. This is the first part of our message. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Sometimes I think maybe the most difficult person to be in the history of Christianity 2,000 years moving forward uh, is an American. An American. We live in the greatest country in the world. I don't think historically, I think the accomplishment of the Roman Empire, really, if you put it, I mean, what, what God has done in this country, what happened over here since, what, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, and here we are now. And, and you look at who we are historically and where we are now. This country, the greatness of this country is unparalleled. This country has an indomitable will. This country was established by strong-willed men and women, frontier men and women, risk-takers. This country, this raw, really savage, uh, 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 untamed land has become this, I mean, look at our infrastructure. Look at our, our, our buildings, our, our the massive buildings that we have and the highways and just everything that we take for granted. I mean, everything, our, our state and national forest, everything around, our, everything, restaurants, food, just business, commerce, the vehicles that we own and have, the houses that we live in, just the, it's, it's unparalleled, the amount of wealth, the strength of our military, the majesty of our country in so many days. We're a country of power and beauty and strength. We admire strength. We admire entrepreneurism. We, we admire great athletic feats and wonderful talent. And we just admire bigger and better and stronger. We're fixing to celebrate the Super Bowl. We just had a national championship game on Monday night. The pomp and the pageantry. And it's just everywhere. Our message, the first thing that becomes noticeable about our message, it's ugly. 
It's ugly. I don't know if you think about the description and the definition of the God. Isaiah chapter 9. We just did the passage. We do it every Christmas. Where Isaiah said, a child's going to be born unto us. And his name is going to be Wonderful Counselor. Prince of Peace. Mighty God. Eternal Father. And it's pageantry. Nobody knows what Jesus Christ looked like. We don't know. But one thing we know, the, 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 the portraits, and, and I don't have any problem with the portraits. Don't you be coming out here saying the preacher had a problem. But there were two. We have, this is a German influence, and there was an Italian influence in the painting of Jesus. I can assure you he didn't look like either one. I don't mean that disrespectful, but he didn't. He was a Jew from Palestine. And according to Scripture and history, he had no stately form. He had no stately form that we should look upon him. It wasn't his appearance that drew people to him or even against him. I mean, at some point, he was like a, I don't know, a circus show or something. A man accompanied by signs and wonders and miracles. Nobody there. Boy, that attracted him. Scripture verifies that. He was a blue-collar Jewish man who worked in the carpenter's shop in, in little backwater communities, Galilee, Bethlehem. Uh, he, he, I'm going to tell you, according to Scripture and history, no, no, he had no stately form. There was no majesty. Not somebody who even look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised. As many followers as he had, there were more that despised him and, 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 and would forsake him. He was a man of sorrows. <clears throat> we, don't, we don't like people. We don't like sorrowful people, do we? We don't like homeless people. Not that we don't like them. We just don't know what to do with them. Uh, it says, I like this, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not see. When you pull up to a light and there's somebody with a homeless, you know, I don't know. We've got a wide range of folks here. Not everybody would do the same. But there have been some, really some pro provocative research that most people would just look away. They just ignore eye contact. There's no beauty in that. There's no, that represents what's wrong with our culture. Mental illness. Broken families, PTSD, things that we're not equipped. I got, listen, I got my own life to worry about. And maybe we would move to, well, let me, I'll give them some money. Well, don't give them money because they'll use their own drugs or alcohol. It's just kind of a confusing, it's ugly. Now, if we're really going to understand the message, the message, the word that saves the souls of men, the first dynamic of that message is it's an ugly message. And we'll tie, we'll let the scripture tie second. Number verse four through six. Surely 
our griefs he himself bore. And our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Our iniquities. Our transgressions. The chastenings of, 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 for our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging, we are healed. All of, us, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the sin, the sin, the sin, the iniquity of all of us to fall on him. The second description of the message, the definition, the the defining description of the message is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Real sacrifice. I asked the kids. It was really hard for them this morning. I, I wouldn't expect, but, it's, but I'm gonna, I want you to measure yourself this morning. There's, I was told this from a young age by my grandfather and my father, and I'm sure I heard it from coaches and other people, they would say there's two kinds of people in the world. There's givers and there's takers. And we're all, you know, we're all, we give some and we take some. I, I'm going to pick on our culture again, our God-blessed nation. Uh, not only are we a, a country and a nation of people that are enamored by the world, just by power and strength and beauty, we're enamored by it. We're enamored by it. We tend to avoid that that's ugly and, you know, but, but we also live in a culture that is not selfless, but is selfish. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at me, well, look at me, look at me. And, and I asked the kids this morning, you know, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. Now, how is all of this affecting the church? Because we have two messages. We have the message of the Bible and then we have the message of the world. And we live in a world, as we've grown up as little children, where all the messages of the world are over here appealing to our flesh. And the message of the cross is over here. It's, it doesn't appeal to our flesh. So there's a conflict. But sacrifice. I said to the kids, have you done anything this week? I'm not picking on you because I wouldn't expect it. I said, have you done anything this week? where you had to sacrifice. Now, I'm not talking about doing a chore, because that's your chores. By the way, parents, I love, because the kids were telling me about the different chores they have. You guys are doing a good job. Uh, and you are. You got them washing dishes and all that good stuff like that, and I like that. But I said, did you do something where you literally stopped for a minute and said, you know, I'm pick on Dylan again. <laughs> I said, your little brother, did you, did you stay? He said, no, I didn't. <laughs> you know, where he stopped and he said, you know what? That little rascal, he don't deserve it. I'm not even sure I like him sometimes. I love him. But I'm going to do something for him because, you know, what? I just want to do something. I'm going to do this for him. And he doesn't deserve it. But, you know, well, how many of you? Now, these are the kids. How much of your life this week can you stop and say, I went through the mental, the emotional, uh, the, the physical, and spiritual thought process 
of, of saying, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm really going to, and I mean sacrifice. I'm going to put, Aubrey's going to go over here. This ain't going to be about Aubrey. And right or wrong ain't got nothing to do with it. Now there's the challenge. Right or wrong ain't got nothing to do with it. I'm going to do something for somebody. I want to sacrifice something for somebody. See, our message is a message. It's an ugly message. But if it's anything at all, it's a message of sacrifice. Have you taken anybody's grief this week that didn't deserve it? Have you allowed yourself to be sorrowful or stricken for someone, smitten, chastened, scourged? We're so easily offended. We were one thing we ain't gonna sacrifice. We ain't gonna sacrifice our dignity or our pride, are we? Nah. We need some judges and juries around here, and I'm just man or the gal to do it. I'm quick to fall into that discussion of hmm hmm hmm. Jesus Christ didn't do that, and our message. If it's going to mean anything at all to a lost and dying world, it needs to be a message of, I don't we don't return insult for insult. We don't return evil for evil. We do turn the other cheek. We are, we are well pleased, the scripture says in Ephesians, uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2. Now here's a challenge. Isn't it better to be wronged? That's the message. That's the message. Isn't it better to be wrong? How about this one? Philippians 2, 2 says, hold others in higher regard than yourself. That's the message. That's sacrifice. That's real sacrifice. Who has believed our message? Well, the world's supposed to look at you and I and say, man, there's something different about it. Those people are living on a different message. Those people operating on a different message. Man, they're not enamored with the things of the world. They have a compassion and a heart for them and a sacrifice that is in it. That it doesn't, it's not based upon merit. That's the message. Philippians 2 Paul writes, he said, have this same attitude that was evident in Christ Jesus, that although he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself to the point of a slave and became obedient to the point of death. I think sometimes the church, we have gotten our message confused. That we somehow think we are equal to God. Maybe if not equal, kind of maybe right there with them. I always thought that conversation was interesting when James and John, mother comes to Jesus and says, hey, let me help you out here, Jesus. Let my sons, <laughs> can, what, can my son sit at your right hand and your left hand? That's the way we think. About that time, wasn't too far long after that, Jesus got on his hands and knees 
this unattractive, ugly, no, not majestic, no stately form or appearance, wrapped a towel around his waist and he began to wash the hands of filthy, or the feet of filthy men who would all betray him on the very night of his betrayal. Our message is a message of sacrifice. Number three, verse seven, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, now they say he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off, he was taken away, he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people to whom the stroke was due. You know what the stroke was? It was called the death stroke. That the stroke was due. His grave was a sign with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death. Death. Grave. The stroke. The death stroke. Why? Because he had done no violence. <laughs> wow. Nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Well now wait a second. I can understand somebody dying. Maybe going to the electric chair, you know. But why? He did be, this is because he had done no violence. Maybe if he'd have done some violence, he wouldn't have had to endure the cross. Maybe if there'd been some deceit in his mouth, he wouldn't have had to die. But the third place, the third standard in the message is death. Death. Our message is a message of, uh, it's an ugly message. It's a sacrificial message, and it's a message of death. If Christianity is about anything at all, what is it about? You say, we love him because he first loved us. Okay. It's about dying to self. In the Gospel of John, Jesus teaches, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot live again. And I go back to the same thing again. We're enamored with beauty, not, 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 nothing ugly. We, we want to attain stuff, self, me, my. And we won't die to self. I think the biggest problem that the unsaved see in the people of the message, because we're the people of the message, I think the most difficult thing they see is they don't see us dying to self. I really do. Now, let me just say one thing about that before we conclude with the fourth message. The church gets a bad rap. It really does. Because what I have experienced in years of ministry and as a Christian, and many of you have too, is that we are serving. The church to me is the most benevolent serving group of people as it was intended to be ever. We, we are. There's so much that we do that no, I mean, Boy, you know, it, it's the church. It's the body of Christ. It's the children. It's the kingdom. We are serving and we are sacrificing. But I will tell you, if I had any single real goal in my life as a Christian, I, I wish that, I, that God would increase in me a couple of things. But more than anything, this, just this overwhelming sense, this need just to serve just to die to myself. 
just to die to myself. Every time I get in trouble, it's because I, something's living in me that should be dead. Did you hear me, church? Every time I get in trouble, there's because something is living in me that should be dead because of the message. Every time I get in trouble with my mouth, my attitude, my emotions, my actions, is because something is living in me that has not died. But the message, very clearly, is a message of death. And then the final one, verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. That would be one of the top 10 most powerful, enlightening statements in all of Scripture. If you want a big boy, big girl understanding of our God, boy, you just plant it right there. Plant it right there. Get, get your shovel out, dig a hole, plant that seed there, and then do everything you can to watch the understanding of that grow. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, his son. I have never had a love in me. This is greater love that no man has, that the one would lay down their life for another. Romans 5. There might be, there might be somebody who would, who would, who would lay, die for somebody that deserved it. Maybe. There might be. There might, you might do something heroic. Uh, you know, I, I might die for Tammy or, or Cody or Logan or Jordan or JD. And I might. But may not, I don't know. But I'm not sure I'd do it for anybody else. But God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still wicked, he sacrificed his son. Did you ever? There's that great hymn that Jesus sings from the cross. It's a hymn. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's a hymn, Mark. He wasn't saying that as a lack of faith. He, they, that was their amazing grace hymn. It was. He was saying, if you didn't know, you should know now. He was in agony. But he was singing the very hymn the scripture said would. In the psalmist said, he would sing in his sacrifice. For, for a hateful, evil, sinful, unloving generation. And God was pleased. Could you imagine? I, I mean, Lindsay, your kids are amazing. All of you have, but I just saw you. And you see your arm around Parker there. And you love that boy. And he's full of life. And, and, and he's whimsical. He really is. You know, he's just good. And you and Michael are committed to loving the Lord and raising your child. But if you, could you say, you know what? There's a bunch of convicts over there in that Hamilton unit out there. Rapists, thieves, liars, murderers. Drug addicts, drug dealers, violent, vile, aggressive people. And say, well, okay, Parker, his sacrifice will save him from his sin. You go, you, maybe you would do it. I don't know. But would you be pleased about it? I couldn't. I don't know. I couldn't. Now, that's the significance here. This is our message. He was pleased to crush him. Crush him. Putting him to grief. If.
We talk about our choices as though they mean something. Our choices mean little to nothing at all. They really do. I, but I'm going to tell you the one choice that meant something. You and I may think we have a choice in some matters. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. But I'm going to tell you one thing. He could have called 10,000 angels. He did have a choice. And in the garden right up there, he's praying, Lord, take this cup from me, not my will, but your will be done. The greatest choice in all, in all of the history of all humanity, of every choice that's ever been made, was when Jesus Christ decided, not my will, but your will be done. And the Father was pleased he loved you so much. You've never experienced a love. As much as you love your children, as much as you love your mother and your father and your spouse, as much as you, you have never, and I have never loved somebody so vile and so vile so much that you would be pleased because if you knew that it would save their soul, that you would be pleased that your loving child would be crushed. We've not had that love. We don't know that love. But it is the message. It's our message. It's an ugly message. It's a sacrificial message. It's a message of death. But it is a message of victorious love. A victorious love that the greatest poets and philosophers and, of all the world have tried to write something equivalent to it and could never write anything as powerful as this statement right here. This is the most powerful statement of unconditional sacrificial love that you'll ever know in your life. You can't, there's not one that compares. That the God of all God was pleased to crush his son if his son would make a choice. If his son would do what? If he would render himself as a guilt offering. The scripture says he became sin. You tell me, anybody, come up with some great love story. Give me a love story. I just need to hear one. I don't know one. You couldn't. Romeo and Juliet doesn't pair. The story, you couldn't do that. Pretty woman. I don't know. That's just on the top of my head. The notebook. All these wonderful, and we shed tears over them. Where's, where, what is it? He was pleased if he would offer himself as a guilt offering. He, he became sin. And here it is, people. Here's the victory. Wow. Hmm. This is you and me. This is you and me. He'll, sing it. He'll see his offspring. You and I are his offspring. He, he'll prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. He's sitting at the right hand of God as judge and sa savior of all men. He's, his face is continually towards the Father, interceding for you and I in our foolishness, in our saved foolishness. Huh. Oh, Gandhi, when he was asked about Christ, he said, I don't have a problem with your Christ. It's that bloody thing he drags behind him called the church. Read Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And our Savior, we're, he's just sitting with his face to the Father. He said, no. No, Dad, I got him. I got a Aubrey in his foolishness and his weakness and his sin. He's one of mine. I died for him. I died for Neely. I died for Mark. I died. I died for him. I died. I got him. I got old Jeff over here. He's my offspring. I got him. Hmm. 
Wow. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he'll see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. He'll bear the iniquities, therefore I'll allot him a portion with the great. He'll divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Oh, that's ugly. Yet he bore the sin. Oh, that's sacrificial. And he interceded for the transgressors. By his death, there's victory. That's our message. And it's a foolish message to the people that are perishing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, my desire as we move forward this year is that we have such a yearning desire in our spirit to fully, completely know your message, be united with you in, in, in the message so that we can serve, Father. We can die to ourselves. We can, we can overcome, understand the ugliness and overcome it. And we can absolutely praise you and find joy in the victory you've given us. This is our message. This is our story. This is our song. And so, Father, we love you. And we love you in the name of our message, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.